For so many modern driven women, life is about being more than one thing. We're multidimensional and so are our conversations. We carry multiple identities. We can be both mother and artist, both attorney and entrepreneur, both clinician and CEO, both humble and proud. Life for women like us is about both, about all of the above. It's about the and. Our stories are the stories of so many of you. We wanted the freedom and flexibility to live life on our own terms, and we felt the pull to be more present to our families. But we still felt drawn to contribute, to build, and to create. And we wanted to establish financial security for ourselves and our children. For us, that looked like founding software companies and then a successful coaching and online course business. But for you, that may look different. Our mission is to help other women build and grow businesses on the internet. Starting up online can be overwhelming and isolating, but it doesn't need to be. We're here to share an insider's peek into the strategies and mental resilience it takes to create and run six and seven figure online businesses. As women entrepreneurs, only 2% of us will ever earn a million dollars. We've done it ourselves and we're on a mission to help you reach financial independence by chronicling our journey and sharing our proven playbook. Join us for honest conversations about what it really means to grow a business and build a life that aligns with your values and adds something meaningful to the world. I'm Sandy Connery. And I'm Jenny Barcelos. And you're listening to the And She Spoke podcast. Make sure you hit subscribe so you don't miss any of the new podcasts that drop every single Tuesday. Welcome to the And She Spoke podcast. Today's episode is about why your offer needs to solve an important problem. Hey, Sandy. Hello, Jenny. Are you saying that I just can't decide I want to sell something on repotting plants? That's exactly what I'm saying. (laughs) Not if you want to make money. (laughs) You can do whatever you want for your jollies, but if you want some cash money from it, that's probably not the best idea unless you validated it first with paying customers. Yeah. Yeah, I think we're actually working on some new material for our luminaries program. And we're, it's been a long time since we created the material. And so we're doing an update. And, and of course, you know, with reflection and all the learnings we've experienced over the last couple of years, we're like adding to it and making it better. And one of the things is whatever you choose to sell or whatever you're going to create your offer around, that thing has to solve a very difficult, important problem in someone else's life, or no one's going to buy it, no matter how cheap you make it or how incredible, like how many hours of one-on-one with you. It doesn't matter. If it's not a burning problem for someone, they're not going to buy it. Yeah. I think that's hundred percent right. And I know we're going to have pushback because every time I ever say anything like this, there's always pushback. And the pushback comes from people who think of themselves, I think, as like creatives or artists mm. usually, and who say like, okay, but I'm making something new and beautiful and interesting and no one even knows to want it or need it. And, you know, that's kind of outside of the scope of what we're talking about. Like, we're not really talking about like painters or, you know, if you're like, if you're coming up with some new kind of like generative art or something. And to be honest, like a lot of that work doesn't get acknowledged right away monetarily or sometimes even in in your lifetime. lifetime. Mm -hmm. And so like banking on that being a business is probably not the right way to think about that kind of artistic expression. So I just want to put that out there first because I know a lot of, (laughs) there's always like the the crew who, who fancies themselves artists who have this to say. And that's not, we're not talking about that. 
So what we're talking about is the idea that you want or need to make money in your life to support yourself or to achieve your goals. And and in order to do that and in order to have some measure of faith that 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 whatever you're selling is going to bring in said money, you need to make sure it's solving an important problem to someone. And usually that means it's in the context of helping someone with their health or their wealth or their relationships. And that we learned that a long time ago from Alex Hermosi, the great dude bro marketer of them all. <laughs> but you know what? He's got a lot of, of really good material. So yeah, dude he bro sure does. may be, but like yeah. we've, we've done a lot with him. But I think like I think it's so interesting those categories are health and wealth relationships. And I would argue that that there's time. When, when we were in the foundation, it was like time or money, solve, yeah. solve a problem with time or money and you will always make money. But I do think that the relationship is, is really interesting too. So we also had a podcast in the last few months about green lighting. Yeah. And so I think it, it's it all, there's a bunch of topics that are kind of blurring together in this episode, but like it is really hard to know if you have an idea or a passion or you found a little niche market and you want to explore it into it, like turn it into a business, how do you know it's going to sell? And I think our sort of seed of an idea, it has to be solving a big problem as we've just said, but then what are some of the things that like we were sort of talking earlier about like, what are the things you want to check to make sure that this could be a sustainable business? Like what are some of the green light checkpoints. Yeah. I mean, you need to make sure that the market is big enough, like that there's, it's not like three people that you're ever going to sell to unless you're selling something for hundreds of thousands of dollars each or millions of dollars each, right? Like there has to be a big enough market that the work that you're putting into creating the offering and, and figuring out how to package it and sell it, like can be sold over and over again, that there's a big enough audience there. And so there's, there's like, you know, I think for in most cases there is like I think that that's usually not the problem. But you have to, for for most of our listeners and people who want to grow the size of business that we're talking about, which is like you know six figure per year kind of business, um, this becomes much more of a problem for startup founders and people that want to grow, you know, unicorn billion dollar companies that like market size question becomes more, more important mm-hmm. because th- there are lots and lots of like software applications, for example, it, that could not become billion dollar companies simply because the market isn't big enough. So that's yeah. one important one to think about. Yeah. And the other one I think is that whoever you are selling to has money to purchase whatever you're selling. Yeah. Right. So if your niche market is single teenage moms yes. on welfare or something like that, you know, you can't sell them thousand multi multi thousand dollar coaching programs. Right. Yeah. And this becomes a real issue, I think, in online business with like the kind of the small subset of people that are targeting like teenagers or something. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. teenagers <laughs> are a huge important market obviously drives a lot of purchasing behavior um, in our economy. But if you are like a small business online selling to teenagers, you usually have to get parental buy-in. So like people who sell like college prep courses and things like that, you're really selling to the parents. And so you just have a bit of a tricky market there because you need to be sort of like selling to the kids and also selling to the parents at the same time. So like those are the obviously the things to, to figure out and factor in who's like your real audience, who are you selling to and do they have the money to buy it? And I think that like that's something that 
you can you can often kind of like have a, a good idea about with common sense, just like reflecting on it. But you can also do like an hour of internet research. And especially now with, you know, like, like being AI and like that kind of stuff, like you have tools at your disposal to help you answer these questions pretty quickly. Like what is the total addressable market of XYZ? Like type that into AI and see what happens and then go fact check it. So I, I think that th- that's just like some common sense analysis that you want to do when you're thinking about your business. And I think for most most like small businesses or service-based businesses, which is where a lot of folks start out, like maybe you never really do that research, right? Like you start your business because you're good at something, you have a certain skill, and then somebody buys it one day and then you sort of start and it kind of takes off from there. But if you want to grow something that's scalable, that one day has this idea of passive income, you want to start doing some of this research. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then the other thing I was thinking about in preparation for this episode is like, you have to build it around something that's really like solving a super important problem, but then the quality of the offer, I just made that whole phrase up, like the quality of what you are selling has to also be high. There has to be a very high value of what you are selling. Yeah. And I think it's interesting to think about the intellectual property that you bring with the way that you teach or coach or something around this problem. That's because if you're the only one doing it in this way, or you bring a slant or flavor to it, that really sets you apart from the rest of the market. And it's only you that you can learn it this way. Yeah. And you obviously have to be really good at explaining and identifying that fact to people that you are the only one that does it this way. So then that gets into like messaging and copywriting and things like that. But simplicity, the simplicity, like how simple can you make it? I think a lot of people want to make something really like 20 step process and it's in its, in its, you know, feels like it's more valuable because it's like really hard and you need to learn from me. But I think the trick is to actually make something teach something in the most simplistic way. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think that in general, we have seen things in online business move away from complexity and towards mm-hmm. simplicity. And and I think that's a great thing. Like I, I think it's really challenging to create something that is simple. <laughs> like I think mm-hmm. it's just as hard for you as a, yeah. like yeah. as a creator, if not harder, oh, harder. to make harder. something simple. And so it's a challenge to you. It's going to be a better experience for your students or clients. And it's going to like make you do the hard work of having to like think through how to simplify this thing that you have expertise in. I mean, I that's why like I love well, like I come, you know, I come from a background in law and I love the attorneys who like are plain spoken and who write contracts in like plain English. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to me, like that's the, like that signifies a very gifted attorney versus like someone who uses a lot of like complicated jargon and boilerplate language. That's like very hard for an, an individual to be able to like read and understand. And like, to me, like that's your job as an online teacher or coach or whatever you are is to take these concepts that you have expertise in that, you know, you know, you know, very deeply and to turn them into teaching learnings that can, that mm-hmm. can be simple for people that you're yeah. working with to understand. And I think when when people are starting out, you know, say they just got their life coach certification, for example, 
what they're going to do is use what their teacher taught them. And then over time, as you develop your own practice and your own thinking and your own IP, you are going to probably niche down into a, you know, a specific area and develop your own IP. But in the beginning, we often just use what we taught. And so in life coaching speak, it would be like, where they are and where they want to go and the gap in between. Like, I'm going to bridge that gap for you. I'm going to get you from here to there with this, you know, six, whatever coaching package. So, but I think it's, it's really important to have that in the back of your mind that Mm -hmm. as you develop and, you know, the more clients that you have, that you are going to develop your own intellectual property, your own procedures and systems and frameworks or whatever it may be. And that is going to be a huge thing that will set you apart in the future, but it's difficult to do on day one when you just get the idea. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I mean, I I think that part of your ability to solve an important problem is that like you have experience and track record in solving it over and over again for people. And in that process, Mm -hmm. you have developed some sort of IP Mm -hmm. that's unique to you. And I mean, and and it's at that point that you're really ready to turn that into something that you can sell at scale. Mm -hmm. And the other thing we were talking about was like, I find it an interesting problem. If somebody has an existing business and they're not happy with their sales and it just feels like pulling teeth and they, you know, it's just not working. I think it's such an interesting problem to kind of parse apart. Like, is the thing that you are selling solving an important enough, like a painful enough point or are you just terrible at selling? Are you terrible at copywriting? Is your sales page terrible, right? Mm-hmm. Like what is the reason that you are struggling? Is it the thing doesn't solve, you know, a big enough pain point or is it that you're just terrible at selling? You know what? I'm just thinking as you're saying that, Sandy, we've been talking about this for a few days, this issue and before we recorded this podcast and something just kind of clicked right now for me. Did which you solve is that, it? <laughs> yeah, which is that for almost our entire existence in business together, which is what, like eight plus years at this point, we had, we worked with people in the health and wellness industry. Like that, that was like the vast majority of our client base. And only in the recent, like last year, year and a half has that changed where we have an influx, a pretty significant influx of like coaches and just general creators and people do other things in addition to health and wellness. And when we were primarily serving health and wellness businesses, which we still are primarily serving, this question was not really relevant because Mm -hmm. health and wellness is like at the top of that list of important problems for everyone. And it's like that whole saying, Mm -hmm. when you like, when you have health, like you can have a million things you need to go do, but when you have no health, the only thing you care about is like getting your health back. And I think so like at its core, those of you in the health industry and the wellness industry, you are solving an important problem. So this is like, you need to obviously be able to talk about it and copyright about it properly and and show the value. But like at its core, it's not really a question. You are solving an important problem. When you break out of that space and we start talking about other kinds of businesses, I think this, are you solving an important problem starts to come up more because like, maybe you're not. I mean, just to be honest, like if you are, you know, like say you have a, I don't know, (laughs) a passion for you're saying potting plants. Like, I mean, plenty of influencers on Instagram and YouTube make a living 
by talking about plants all day, but they're they're primarily working as influencers right. and not That's creators, different. which is a whole separate conversation. They're getting their their business is because they like have an audience and a big audience. And so I think that like these are the questions you need to start to ask yourself is like, is this something that like enough people are going to pay me enough money to solve that I can build a business around. Like that's where that question starts Mm -hmm. to come in. And when it's health and wellness related, the answer is almost always going to default to yes. When it's something else, like if it's not money, like relationships or health, like that's where you start to get into this, like, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know if there's like a real business need there. You're all fired up about your business until you have to go and market it, talk about it, promote it. All of that feels so heavy, hard, and overwhelming. We know that your business will flourish when you become comfortable promoting your work. And for that reason, we created Visible, a program that helps women amplify their voice in a world that tries to keep them quiet. Build an audience around your body of work and not just your body. So forget everything you've been taught about marketing. Visible is your fastest route to building an audience of raving fans that can turn into paying clients. Inside bonus, you can ignore trend alerts on Instagram. Join Visible today at joinvisible.co. Yeah, but I think like the question if it's, is it health or wealth or relationship or time, yeah. you know, if you don't fall in that bucket, it's going to be a, one of those four buckets. That's going to be a really difficult go. Yeah. But I think I agree with the overarching, if you are in health, you know, you're solving an important problem. But I think that it is a crowded marketplace, especially yes. online, especially since COVID. Yes. And so this is where you have to get really good at knowing, like niching down into a specific market so that your language and copy can really speak to one person, one type of person. And I think you really have to look at your offer and the value that it gives to that person. And then there are sort of levers that you can play with to increase the value. And again, we can go back to Hermosi, which is, he defines value as like, you have to increase the desire for the the thing that you're selling. So you really want to like paint the dream. They have to really want it, which is what we're saying. You have to have an important problem. Mm-hmm. They have to believe that you are the one that is going to, you know, increase the likelihood that they will solve the problem. And you want to decrease the time, like get them there faster. And you want to decrease their effort. Effort. So mm-hmm. with these tools, with this framework, with this checklist, you're going to do it. It gets so much faster for you and easier for you, less effort. So I think like those are some of the things you need to start to play with in order to start to sell, you know, with some regularity, your, your, your offer in, I don't think it's enough to say, Oh, I'm in wealth. I'm good. Or I'm not wealth, health. I'm in health. Yeah, No, no, it's not good enough. But I just think it, at fundamentally that like core question, is this an important problem is solved? And then it becomes that next outer layer of, am I communicating about it effectively? Am I niche down? Am I detailed? You know, do, do I have the experience and the IP for a specific process or way of teaching? I wonder too, like if, do you think that you can niche down so far? Like I used to use a, a, an example a long time ago, like if someone was selling like how to do a cartwheel, like that isn't solving an important problem or how to do a handstand, you know? I think that, yeah, like I think that the market for that is probably 
pretty small. So I think you have to, there's no like hard and fast rules here. You have to weigh like how big of a business am I looking at building? And then like, does my offer get me there? And I think that like, if you're only looking to make like a $20,000 a year business, maybe like cartwheel school could work for you. Right? Like I know that there's like hula hoop teachers who probably make more than that. And like, you know, they can sell like they can be ambassadors for hula hoop companies and they can have like an Instagram account of hula hooping. And I mean, I like, I know that these people exist. There's like all kinds of people that like circus things. <laughs> it's just mm-hmm. like not that many, right? Like, so your business is probably not going to get that big. So if you're looking to build like a million dollar business, like hula hooping, or maybe like do the, do the research or like cartwheeling, maybe, maybe, but probably not. So I think, but if you're looking to build like a million dollar business and you are someone who teaches women how to deal with like pelvic floor issues after giving birth, you probably can get there, right? Because there's like a lot of women that have those issues. That's a really important problem for like across multiple categories here, probably like at least two of those categories that are really important. So like we just, I think it's it's like a formula that you have to think through. It's a way of thinking about a problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But you know, the other thing I was thinking about as we're talking is I spend like a significant amount of money on like crafting and it's not in any of these categories, but I'm thinking about the businesses. Like it's not (laughs) crafting doesn't make me rich. Crafting doesn't like, you know, make me healthy except it does. Right. So I'm thinking about what I buy. Like I buy pretty much everything off of the hello Bargello site and have for years and years. And Bargello is this like really bright Italian weird, like, um, fiber crafting that I love that this like woman has made this giant business out of like growing amazing business out of. And it's because she sells it as if it's like a relationship to yourself. Right. So she is framing the way she sells like crafting kits as like how to build mm-hmm. like it's self-care. Like, so it's mm-hmm. wellness in that way. And it's like building a relationship really to yourself. Yeah. So yeah. if you, te- if you do something like that, that's like not obviously in one of these categories, but then you're good at marketing you can put something into one of these categories that maybe isn't obviously there for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. I think the relationship category is really interesting. And I think in these categories that a lot of businesses will cross over when that, what you just said is a really great example. And I do think I want to do a whole podcast on this about like the relationship with yourself and like the, the self concept of yourself and what that looks like. So yeah, I think anything in Alex's, value equation, you know, like you really wanted to like, cause you deeply desire to carve out hours in your day or week to, to do this kind of crafting thing. <laughs> Shut up, Sandy. <laughs> I just see you like trying not to like, I don't know, burst into laughter, which of course happened. So I do not spend hours a week. I probably spend like two hours a month, month. Just to be but, clear, but, but it's that, very that, sacred to me. I love it. Exactly. 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 That time <laughs> for you to do something you deeply enjoy is yes. really, really, really valuable. And if she can put on the, the copy on those pages, you know, that really speak to you and you're just like, oh, I want to do this so badly. So yes. Like her whole mm-hmm. motto is Bargello and chill. And it's like, Mm -hmm. yeah. And it's like so happy. It's like, Mm -hmm. it's so much better than Netflix and chill to me because it's like, oh, I'm going to like go make some beautiful sunglass case and be happy and play with like bright, beautiful wool yarn. And I want you to make me like a skirt for a Barbie doll that will hide uh, (laughs) toilet paper. You know? Shut up, Sandy. (laughs) 
I do make tissue box coats. <laughs> I, I want one that fits the Barbie doll. <laughs> okay. All right. I think we, we got it. Yeah. Your, your offer needs to solve an important pro- problem. Yes. That's the point. All right. Let's move to joy and hustle. Okay. I think you were going to do the joy. Okay. The joy. I'm just pulling it up here. It's an episode on the Ritual podcast. He interviewed Dr. Christopher Gardner, who is, I think, a Stanford researcher. He, his specialty, it was like one of the best, I think it's like three hours long or something, you know, typical ritual, but it was one of the best episodes of this entire podcast of rituals, I believe. So Christopher Gardner, he interviewed Christopher Gardner about diets and nutrition and health and aging and all those kind of things. And so often we hear, you know how Jenny, you and I were talking about this, like if you want to find an article about like why coffee's bad for you, you can find one and you can find equal amounts about why it's good for you. Like every single thing is there's research out there. There was an article in like the Atlantic about how ice cream is good for you. Anyway, I think actually he references that. And it's so confusing. Like I just want to give up because I really don't know what is good and what's bad anymore. And like you have to look at the research to understand what the article is. And uh anyway, he is this art this episode is about of all the different diets, whether it's vegan or vegetarian or keto or whatever, what are the commonalities? And he's like, they actually have a lot of common elements in them. And can we start talking about that instead of, you know, should you be high fat or low carb or high carb and low fat, whatever. It's just like, it was just so logical. Mm -hmm. And his, his whole thing, Dr. Christopher Gardner's whole thing is that his like, genius is the ability to create experiments with real human beings in real life situations. Mm-hmm. So for example, one of his ex- one of his uh, studies that he designed was taking, you know, the uh, Mediterranean diet. I can't mm-hmm. remember that. The, this is a very famous doctor who designed that, but he gave people the Mediterranean book and some other people, the different other diet book and another diet book. And he had all these cohorts of different diet books. And he looked at what the result was from reading this book. Dean Ornish. And Dean Ornish was really upset about this because he was like, but you didn't tell them how to use the, do the diet properly. And Dr. Gardner was like, but that's how it works in real life. You go to the bookstore, you buy a cookbook or the diet book, and you like try to implement it to the best of your ability. And so like, that's his genius is like, that's actually how people are consuming information in these diet books. Mm -hmm. Let's actually start measuring before the book and then after the book and after six months and see what we get. So he, he describes a lot of his different studies and it's so interesting because that's really hard to do with humans and food and diet and culture and all the things. And it was just it's very, very long, but I even had my husband listen to it with me and he like it really, really enjoyed it, which says something. So anyway, I would just, if you have any interest in that at all, it's a fascinating. And if you go on his, the Twitter, everyone is like, this is the best episode. This is the best episode. So so, so basically, he, is he saying that like these diets are not meaningfully different the way they're being implemented? I don't think it's the point. The point is what are the common things? It's yeah. like, fresh fruit and vegetables, beans, grains, you know, like he, it's really quite simple what we need to eat mm-hmm. and everyone else is making it super complicated. Mm-hmm. And he's basically saying, so he himself is, I think vegan, maybe vegetarian, I think vegan. And for these reasons, he's not saying everyone has to be vegan or vegetarian, but mm-hmm. can we increase 
the beans and the fiber in our diet? Can we just eat more fresh food, whole food mm-hmm. diets? Like that's what they all say, yeah. right? It's and if there's food, coffee yeah. or wine, you know, these are sort of the outliers. But at the core of it, it's like whole foods, real food, you know, non-processed vegetables, fruits, fiber, and then, you know, sources of protein, you know, whether that's beans or actual meat or whatever, eggs. So I don't know. It was like, hmm. I've just never heard anyone frame it. Like, what are the common things yeah. that all these diets have? Here yeah, they are. Just like real food, like kind of yes. Michael Pollan. Yes. They all yeah. say that. They all yeah. say that. There's no one saying eat a bag of chips. And that's like the ultra processed mm-hmm. diet, uh, ultra processed people book. It's yeah. seeing the same thing. It's just super complex. It's like eat real food, don't eat this ultra processed food. Yeah. And anyway, I just, I know I, we both love ritual and it's just yeah. this sort of rolling conversation around the kid, like the dining room table. That's what it feels like. Yeah. I follow a doctor on YouTube who is, I think at UCSF and he's an oncologist, but he has a, a pretty big YouTube channel he's kind of controversial because he kind of like picks apart like a lot of studies. And one of the Mm -hmm. videos he did was like looking at this overview of nutrition studies over the Mm -hmm. course of like 10 years and just basically looking at how the researchers could just change a few things in every study and have totally different results. And his conclusion, which I think I told you before, was basically just eat whatever your, if your grandmother wouldn't have eaten it, don't eat it. Mm -hmm. Like that. Mm -hmm. And if your grandmother ate it, eat it. It's fine. Like it's not worth worrying about it if it's like the coffee or the wine or whatever. Like yeah. it's just not even worth worrying about it if it's something that p- your ancestors ate. It, eat it. And right. if it is, it's something that your grandmother wouldn't have eaten, don't eat it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's it. Like and I think that that's I don't know. I kind of just I think that especially in a world where there's like startups that are growing meat in Petri dishes. And that's so disgusting. Like, I think we just like, and there's just so much conversation around this kind of stuff that it's like, just stay away from all of that. And as someone like I've been a vegetarian since I was 11 years old and like fake meat is so disgusting. And like the idea of it is so horrifying to me. And I just want to eat things that I can like, yeah grow. Yeah. (laughs) And if you couldn't grow it or harvest it or know what to do with it yourself, whether that's plants or animals or whatever, then you probably shouldn't go near it. Yeah. He talks about Beyond Meat and a study that was saying the meat, the actual like beef producers or whatever it's called in the the US, they're saying that that stuff is terrible and it's high salt. And then the Beyond Meat people are saying, oh, it's, you know, you're, you're too high in saturated fat. And he actually talks about that. And he studied that and there really wasn't any difference at all. So Mm -hmm. if I remember correctly, but it was like, everyone's just clamoring for their, you know, position and power and money on whatever that they're selling. Yeah. Anyway, it's so good. I just thoroughly enjoyed those. I think it's, you know, two and a half, three hours. Yeah, that's good. Okay. Well, that's a great recommendation. All right. And then the hustle we wanted to share this week is pitch.com, which I think is maybe not relevant to everyone, but if you are someone that makes (laughs) slides or decks for any reason, (laughs) Sandy and I seem to find ourselves what, regardless of how many times we're, we say we're never making any more slides, we're always making more slides. And especially if you collaborate with other people, Keynote is the worst possible thing in the world. If you're mm-hmm. collaborating on slides, the worst. PowerPoint probably isn't any better. So if you collaborate, if you have any kind of team helping you make any kind of slides for webinars or any other reason, courses, 
just try out this pitch.com. I think we're on a free plan. If I, I don't and, think and we're paying for it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like been so, it's just so much easier to use than anything else. And Canva, you can kind of do this with Canva, but Canva it like limits the number of slides you can make and it, you get cut off and it's horrifying. And so hopefully they'll fix that. But Pitch.com, it's worth checking out. They've got it like, I think there's probably some AI features and stuff that we're not using, but it's just easy. They're like pre-made templates. You kind of like add in your branding and it is, it just works. And you and I have spent, I don't know how many hours just frustrated that like one of us makes a change to Keynote and then the other person can't open the slide deck. And this happened like a hundred times. And yet or we to still, share it, just to share it. still persist oh in God. using this, this tool. And then I the think, fonts, the fonts always just oh disappear. My God, that's a whole right. other conversation. <laughs> so I yeah. love pitch.com. It's just a website and you go yeah. there and you build your deck and then Jenny goes there and she makes changes and I can see it. And it's so simple. And there are, it is a very, I think it's kind of beta-ish. It's very early. If you do pay, you are able to like save brand colors or logos or images and that kind of stuff. If you don't pay, you just have to keep adding your yeah. things, but it's no, it's no problem. Yeah. So it just, it is, this is solving in a very important problem. Yes. And, <laughs> and it's making the time that we are saving is just like, I would pay anything for that thing at this point. You know what I'm just waiting for, and I'm sure I've said this to you before, is I'm waiting for the ability to have it look at one of our keynote decks that's like perfectly branded that we don't never want to touch again. And I want to say like, here's an outline in a Google Doc, and here's this keynote deck. Now pitch.com yes. or whatever AI yeah. tool, go make the new deck mm-hmm. and make it match this outline and match this, this yeah, brand that. styling. And yeah. I don't want to have to look, touch it. And then make, maybe I'll make like a few fa- small mm-hmm. changes. They like, cannot I'm do so that. I'm ready think. for that use of yeah. AI. Yeah. The, the problem is because I try to upload our decks in there. It doesn't, you can't upload a keynote or a PowerPoint, you can only do a Google slide thing. So, and that's all in beta. So I can imagine the complexity of taking like design and color and position and letters and whatever. Mm-hmm. I, I totally get how hard that is. So it's, it is really frustrating. I thought we could just upload a deck and then just make our lives easier, but no go. No go. Well, this may be the last, I think this, this like luminaries live thing we're doing, maybe the last gasping yeah. breath of oh. keynote for me. I think hundred percent, a hundred percent. Absolutely. Never doing it again. All right. All right. All right, folks, we will see you next time. Thank you, Miss Sandy. Thank you, Jenny. See ya. This podcast is brought to you by Marvelous. Marvelous helps you build and grow your own courses, memberships, and live streamed programs. Go from idea to open for business in just minutes. If you're looking for a simple, beautiful, custom branded platform to build and grow your online business, you can learn more at heymarvelous.com.